Health is not limited to avoiding disease. In fact, the World Health Organization defines health as a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being. I'm Dalia Abdullah, Service Lead of Sustainable Development and Healthy Living and Advisory Services at WSP Middle East. And in this episode of the Anticipate podcast, I'm pleased to be joined by Tiha Salim, Vice President in Global Market Development and Head of MENA Region at Delos. Delos is a global wellness leader with a mission to enhance health and well-being in the spaces where we live, work, learn, and play. Delos was launched in 2013 with a goal of infusing the real estate industry with wellness. This led to the creation of Wellbuilding Standard, which is administered by IWBI. In today's episode, we will discuss how to create a shift from being in a building which is sick to a building that is healthy and comfortable, and in turn, how this impacts our overall well-being physically, mentally, and socially. Welcome to the Anticipate podcast, Tiha, and thank you for joining us today. Just to start, for the benefit of our audience, can you please share an overview of what Delos and IWBI are doing in the field of healthy living and how the journey started? Absolutely. So we've been merging the health sciences with building sciences uh, for over a decade now. Our company was uh, really established to help ensure uh, that any of the buildings and or communities that we're living in and that we're spending the majority of our times in are equipped with technology, with standard solutions, strategies to support healthier, happier, more productive people. That has been the, the number one thing that we wanted to focus on. We wanted to always put people first at any business decisions. So we have done that by investing significantly in research. Uh, We invested about $100 million that went into the formation of the well-building standard, where we brought together the top medical institutions, uh, organizations like Mayo Clinic, Cleveland Clinic, Harvard School of Public Health, Columbia Medical School, and many more that have helped inform the well-building standard. And we also brought together the major architecture, engineering, and design firms uh, that have helped us with this research. Today, the well-building standard became the largest certification platform for healthy and safe buildings around the world with projects across 5.1 billion square feet in 132 countries. And it's continuing to grow by 2 to 5 million square feet. The, the well-building standard really is an evidence-based roadmap that organizations or any type of building or space could use to support the health and well-being of the most important asset, which are uh, people. Uh, so well looks at things like air, water, lighting, nourishment, acoustics, community. And we map these things directly to people's health uh, uh, outcomes. So for example, we look at things like air quality and how are, you know, how is air quality impacting uh, your cardiovascular health, immune health, cognitive health, and many more health outcomes. And we do the same with all the different concepts of well. So it really provides organizations with a uh, with a roadmap and with strategies that they could use inside their uh, buildings to make these buildings um, uh, work for us and not against us and to make these buildings and spaces healthier. Thanks, Tiha, for the information and intro. I think this has started uh, maybe long before the pandemic, but now with a big shift towards healthy buildings living in the post-pandemic era, I think people are really adopting new habits. They're changing their way of managing their day-to-day lives. They're more health aware and organizations have also changed their policies and operations in response to that. Would you be able to maybe tell us a little bit about how the pandemic affected the well movement from your perspective and through the work that you do? How did you see organizations responding to that? We all do not want to remember the pandemic days. I think one of the most important um, uh, positive outcomes that came out of the pandemic is that it made people understand the importance of indoor environments. 
Uh, it made people understand that what we touch matters, what we breathe matters, how we gather indoors matters. And that has been something that is extremely important. Um, as you just said, uh, you know, as an organization, we have been talking about the importance of healthy buildings way before the pandemic. We're not a COVID-19 company. We have absolutely seen several companies claim that they are health and well-being experts, while their companies were actually formed during COVID-19. Uh, but for us, uh, you know, we've been you know, talking about this for so long. In fact, prior to COVID-19, uh, we have projects in 63 countries across 650 million square feet. And that has been uh, an incredible adoption for well. And that was way, be way before COVID. Um, fast forward now, as I mentioned, we have 5.1 billion square feet in 132 countries. And I, 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 I feel like it's not due to the pandemic. It, it was just that the pandemic made people more aware of the importance of what we do as an organization. Unfortunately, it took a pandemic for people to realize the crucial importance of, of, of health and well-being inside buildings. It has definitely helped with the growth of the movement, but that was just a result of people being more aware of the importance of good air quality, of good designs, of good water quality. Have you seen a lot of projects maybe changing their approaches organizations being more interested after that time. I know you shed some light on the numbers, but just in terms of the growth and awareness and the movement as well. I mean, we have seen organizations and I'll give some examples of that. I'll give some real examples. We've seen organizations that moved from, you know, having one building to go through well to having thousands of buildings across the globe. Uh, I mean, in fact, uh, you know, we as, as an organization or the International Lobbying Institute, which is our wholly owned subsidiary, they have come up with a program called the Well at Scale because of the demand. A lot of organizations are coming to us now and saying, look, I have thousands of buildings. I've done that across one building. I want to kind of incorporate well across all types of buildings now. I mean, all it takes, Dahlia, really is people to to do it once. And then they would see the benefits of what it does for their people and how you know important these things are for them. And then they just would grow. We've seen JP Morgan Chase, for instance, put the well health safety rating um, uh, seal across 6,500 branches globally. So we absolutely have seen a lot of organizations change their policies and protocols. I mean, when the pandemic happened, a lot of organizations came to us asking for help, asking for our expertise. Uh, you know, this is a new pathogen concern. No one knows anything about it. And we as an organization put together a, a task force of more than 600 uh, public health experts, virologists, doctors, architects. Uh, and we brought together a lot of people from around the world so that we can launch solutions and strategies that would help people with um, uh, uh, with this pandemic. And we've seen a lot of organizations start changing their policies and protocols to comply uh, with achieving the well health safety rating. And I think also, Dalia, one of the biggest reasons for that, and I always say this in anywhere I speak, is that we are, and people are also realizing and understanding that our organization is not about selling certifications. We're all about ensuring that spaces are healthy and safe. And people are realizing that. And yes, we're seeing a lot of organizations grow and change their policies and go from one single asset, one building, into putting thousands of buildings in the program, which has been exciting. What I think is very important, and maybe you've highlighted this at the beginning, is that this movement has actually emerged from a strong science, research, and epidemiology base. How do you see the architectural design and the way that the designers and consultants are approaching spaces now affecting people's health, whether it's physical, mental, or social? Look, architecture designs play a significant role in influencing people's health and well-being. That's, uh, you know, that's something that is crucial. Uh, you know, design is one of the most important things uh, when you want to have uh, healthy buildings. I'll, 
I'll give a I'll give a few examples. Uh, you know, when, when you look at a at a well designed building, right? Let's 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 look at it from a physical uh, uh, point of view for a second. You know, what are you doing from an accessibility point of view? How are you including all individuals, including ones with the physical uh, disabilities? We're seeing a lot of, uh, you know, architects, consultants now take well and take all the strategies from well and try to incorporate those within the design. Uh, you know, uh, features like ramps, wide doorways, uh, elevators, uh, which makes it uh, you know easier for people to move around and reduce physical barriers uh, for some of uh, the individuals for with physical disabilities, for example. The the, the use of natural lights and ventilation, right? Uh, you know, when you have a a well-designed building, uh, you know, buildings that incorporate natural lighting, proper ventilation, this could absolutely have positive impact on physical health. Uh, you know, exposure to natural lighting uh, supports circadian rhythms, for instance, uh, which can improve your sleep patterns, um, uh, etc. When you have good ventilation inside a building, uh, you know, that ensures the supply of fresh air that could absolutely reduce the risk of respiratory issues. And this is something that is extremely important. My favorite one is active design. Uh, and we've seen we're seeing a lot of architectures and designers now add this as a part of their practice where Active design where they put the stairs, you know, before the elevator. And that is a way to promote physical fitness and to promote people to use the stairs instead of the uh, elevators. And that's from a physical point of view. If we look at, at it from a mental health point of view, biophilic design has been something that is very, very important. And we're seeing a lot of designers now incorporating natural elements uh, into the architectural uh, uh, design. So bringing in plants, water features, uh, natural materials, uh, which could absolutely have, you know, calming and stress-reducing effects on people that are staying in these buildings, which improves mental well-being, you know, privacy and, and, and personal spaces where you have thoughtful room layouts, uh, you know, soundproofing, uh, and a lot of things that could uh, reduce stress levels, uh, improve concentration. Uh, we're also seeing, again, in lighting, uh, I think in lighting uh, and, and, and color is something that is extremely important. Uh, when we look at uh, proper lighting designs and the use of soothing colors within the, the lights can enhance the mood of your occupants, reduce anxiety, uh, which is extremely important for mental health. And then the, the, the last one that I will tap into is the social uh, aspect. What we're seeing, and I, I, I think Dalia here, even in the UAE, it's uh, sometimes it's it's really sad to be living in a in a building and just you will live in a building or live in a space for two three years and you will not even know your neighbors. And I I don't want to blame anyone for this, but I just think that the design and architectures are not focusing on you know creating these community spaces which you know can foster social interactions between people. And we're seeing now we are starting to see now architectures and designers now incorporate these things within uh, uh, buildings and communities, walkability, you know, urban planning. If we're looking at, you know, a community, how are you designing a community or a building to promote physical activity and to encourage social connection? So there are a lot of different strategies and there is a lot of different things and architecture, uh, architectural designs and designers have a crucial role to play in promoting um, uh, the health and well-being of people. Thanks, Tika, for this. Uh, I think the way that you described it and, you know, the, the different examples that you're giving can help us definitely connect to certain places or areas that we may have preferred to be in versus places that we don't really enjoy being in. And, and if designers really are aware of this and understand the impact of the decision-making process and integrating certain elements into the environment and how they are life-changing for people, I think they will 
think about it a lot more about each of the decisions and how they integrate certain elements into the built environment. Taking from that point and diving a little bit deeper into projects, I'm sure there are several success stories, whether um, it's from research, from data out of the projects that have been certified or have uh, gone through the process of understanding and implementing um, healthy living elements. And I'm sure there's also a lot of evidence uh, that healthy buildings increase productivity, reduce absenteeism. If you're looking at an office environment, you know, the number that we hear about people spending over 90% of their time indoors is, is something that really brings to our attention the importance of this topic. And now looking at working hours, our productivity in our offices, and also being in an educational institution like a university or a school, I think this is really a time where we have to be efficient and productive. And to the question, can you maybe share with us a little bit about the success stories of some of the projects, whether schools or offices where you can share some data or examples? You mentioned we spend over 90% of our times indoors. I uh, I believe that in this part of the world, this can reach up to 98% of our times indoors. And when you look at some of the statistics that comes out of the authorities here in the in the UAE, uh, where, you know, the weather is extremely hot, you know, you get to, you know, you, you look at statistics that says that 85% of the population has vitamin D deficiency. And that shows you how much time we're really, uh, you know, spending inside. Uh, as it relates to, uh, you know, some success stories, there are several success stories that I can mention. I mean, you're looking at universities, for example, Hamdan al-Muhammad Smart University, which is the Crown Prince's University in Dubai. And I want to use this opportunity to really commend the chancellor of the university, Dr. Mansour Lawar, who has been doing an incredible job to ensure the health and well-being of his uh, 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 people, visitors, uh, students, uh, faculty members, staff, everyone. I mean, Hamdan al-Muhammad Smart University was the first university in the, in the MENA region to register for well certification. They've achieved the well health safety rating three years in a, in a row. And what is exciting about this is that they have always been building upon. So if the first year they've achieved 15 features, next year they always wanted to achieve more and they've actually achieved 17. And the year after they're always, uh, you know, putting this roadmap uh, to improve. But also they're using a lot of different technologies and a lot of different uh, solutions inside this campus to promote uh, the health and well-being. And they are seeing a lot of, uh, uh, results out of that. One of the most interesting things that I also want to mention about Hamas Park University, they have taken the well building standard, for instance, and they're now teaching the well AP course at the university. So anyone that wants to become a well accredited professional in the region could actually go to Hamas Smart University or take the course online and they could become a well AP. We're now working with them on developing a, a, a well-being course. So this is one of the uh, you know success stories that I'd love to absolutely highlight uh, because it's a university, it's an educational institution that is really walking the talk um, and really pushing uh, the agenda of health and well-being because they, they, they really care and we commend them for this. But other examples like the UA Prime Minister's Office, which, for example, achieved the Well Platinum Certification, you know, I quite old building, uh, considered that it has, you know, been uh, built in 2000, the Emirates Towers, they were able to achieve the well platinum certification and change so many different things. And they are seeing uh, uh, the benefits of this and they are seeing reduced absenteeism, as you mentioned, uh, uh, Dahlia, they are seeing people more productive and they are continuing to do that. One more example that I'll, I'll, I'll share from a governmental point of view 
We've seen organizations like the Dubai Land Department, right, where they have, you know, seen the importance. And as you mentioned, we spend over 90% of our time indoors. People are our most important asset. From a governmental point of view, what can we do to ensure that people are doing the right thing? So from a governmental point of view, they have taken the Well Health Safety Rating, which is a, a program that is uh, focusing on policies and protocols, and they have incorporated within the RIRA ranking. And now they're incentivizing management companies um, uh, with the RIRA ranking that have achieved the Well Health Safety Rating. So they're incentivizing them, giving them points to do the right thing. And now they're actually highlighting them on a governmental map, uh, which is called the Real Estate Falcon, where people are able to actually go in and see which buildings have achieved the Well Health Safety Rating. And that is incredibly um, uh, uh, great of, of, of an organization, a governmental organization like the Dubai Land Department that have looked at something that is important and they realized the, the, the crucial importance of indoor environments. And now they found a way to, as I mentioned, incorporate it within their government mandate and also incentivize uh, people. So these are just a few, you know, a few success stories. There are many others uh, locally and globally, uh, but I just wanted to shed some light on uh, on, on, on these organizations. Uh, I think, Tiha, looking at several examples of people who have successfully implemented well of already gone through this journey, I'm sure there are so many ben- benefits from it, uh, whether it's from a people point of view or a profit point of view. The question is, and based on your experience, do you think we can actually measure health benefits? If this is a conversation that I'm having with a CFO of a company, there is no math, right? Uh, There is absolutely a lot of benefits. Uh, I mean, in fact, at the International Wobbling Institute, uh, you know, we launched a few years ago, we launched something that is called the 12 competencies for measuring health and, and, and well-being at organizations. And the reason we have come up with this framework is that there is not a standardized way of measuring health. Uh, that's the reality. That's the truth. And we have to, 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 to accept this. Is there any benefits uh, from a profit point of view? Absolutely. When you have a healthy place, when you have a healthy space, when you have a healthy building, that will definitely improve productivity. Uh, that will definitely uh, uh, decrease absenteeism. And we're seeing a lot of studies and research out there that, that, that are showing that. And that leads to reduced healthcare costs. Uh, it reduced to, uh, you know, people, uh, you know, taking less sick days from uh, uh, from the office. That, uh, you know, uh, helps people be more productive and come to the, to the office. Uh, you know, it enhances uh, attraction and retention. Uh, and that is something that is, extremely important. Uh, So from an ROI point of view, it is a a, a difficult conversation. If you want to have a, if you want to have this conversation with a CFO of a company, there is no math that anyone could, uh, uh, could prove because it's, it's, it's very, very difficult. When you look at the initial costs of implementing health focused building features like ventilation systems, lighting upgrades, green spaces, and really comparing them to the long-term benefits in terms of productivity, energy savings, uh, you know, retention of talent, this could help quantify the financial gains uh, from an organization's point of view. But again, I will say if an organization is, you know, clearly looking at this only from a math point of view, no one can, you know, there there is no equation uh, that could help. But are there benefits? There are benefits to having people live and stay and work in a healthy space. I believe it's an exciting journey, like having this started from 2013 and looking at the growth and the understanding and engagement from both the public and private sectors. uh, I'm pretty sure there's much more that will be done, uh, a lot more that the future holds. Can you maybe let us know what is the latest work being done around it and how is the work with engagement of public and private sectors in the healthy living movement? We have seen a lot of adoption 
and we've seen a lot of, um, uh, you know, a lot of the from the public and the private sector, um, uh, you know, starting to incorporate that, and it's continuing to grow organically, as I just mentioned uh, towards the beginning uh, uh, of this podcast. We're seeing, as I mentioned, two to five million square feet every single day that are coming in the uh, system. So, from a private uh, sector point of view, I think what's happening is. If we look at it from an organization or company's point of view, there is a lot of pressure that is going to the CEOs and to the board of directors from the employees themselves that are now more aware of the importance of healthy buildings. And they're now more aware of, uh, you know, things that needs to be done from an organizational point of view to promote health and well-being. So employees uh, from a from an organizational point of view, employees will leave. If they know that you know uh, the, the the spaces and the policies and the protocols that are uh, you know in, in in a specific company are not supporting their health and well-being, and now there are so many uh, different options, and you cannot you will not be able to control uh, 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 your employees from a governmental point of view. And I just mentioned the Dubai Land Department. I think what governments are are, are seeing and finding right now is that there are ways that they could incorporate and incentivize. Uh, you know, organizations to do the right thing, and that positions them as 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 leaders within this movement, as leaders within ensuring that people are, uh, you know, remaining healthy and 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 safe. And I think that has been uh, uh, incredible. And I, I'll, I'll just share, you know, a, a, a small number here, uh, Dahlia. When we look at the Middle East by itself, right? In the past three years, and we just published a press release, I I believe about three or four months ago, that shows 500 million square feet. Only in the MENA region, that is half a billion square feet of projects that are being registered um, uh, in the different well programs. Uh, if that shows you anything, it just shows you that people are more aware. It shows you that people want to do the right thing uh, and people will continue to do the right thing. And I, I feel that there is, as I mentioned, pressure from uh, tenants on landlords. There's pressure from employees on their employers that are requiring them to do the right thing. Uh, and, and, and this just will continue. The more where people are with the importance of healthy buildings, the more this will continue to grow organically. And I mean, as we speak, it's uh, such an exciting time, the COP28 events. Perhaps this is a good chance to get your point of view on the representation of healthy buildings and communities and COP. And also about maybe if you can shed light on some of the positive impacts of decarbonization uh, from a health point of view. COP28 is at Expo City, Dubai. And Expo City, Dubai is really a great example for how a city can put their people first and how a city can promote and, you know, really focus on health and well-being. When you look at Expo City, they're doing something that is incredible. They are actually doing everything as it relates to the planet and saving the planet, but at the same time also doing everything to ensure people's health and well-being. And we always believe that those two things do not compete with each other. Environmental sustainability and human sustainability complement each other. So to just give a few examples, when you look at Expo City, it's a, it's a true 15-minute city. And there is so many lessons that a lot of communities should learn from a place like Expo City. They were the first to register for Well Community Certification, which ensures that their design and everything that they're doing from a uh, design point of view for the community. They've achieved the well health safety rating very recently to ensure that the policies and protocols and the pavilions and the, 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 the buildings that are there are actually meeting global benchmarks. They've achieved LEED certification. And there is a 
to, to your next question as it relates to decarbonization, we believe that planetary health is dependent upon economic health, which is dependent on human health. So they're all connected. Uh, so decarbonization of buildings, we have several positive impacts on health that, again, contributes to both environmental and human well-being. And I'll just share a few examples of that. You know, when, when you're looking at decarbonization, it, it usually involves upgrading heating, ventilations, air conditioning, HVAC systems to be more energy efficient, right? That's a part of, uh, you know, decarbonization. When you do this, automatically, that's, this could lead you to having better indoor air quality by reducing circulation of pollutants, uh, such as, uh, you know, particular matters, TVOCs, and these things could be harmful for respiratory health. One of the other measures that, you know, as, as a part of decarbonization uh, that buildings could uh, do is including, for for example, or, or switching to cleaner energy sources such as electric heating, cooling systems, renewable energy, that could also reduce the emission of harmful pollutants like nitrogen oxide, carbon monoxide, and all of these things have negative health effects. Energy efficient buildings can have more advanced heating and cooling systems, which again could improve thermal comfort, noise reduction, active transportation. Again, when, when we look at as a part of decarbonization, people want to encourage more sustainable transportation options, such as walking, cycling, uh, jogging. By promoting bike friendly uh, infrastructure or walking friendly infrastructure, guess what you're doing? You're increasing physical activity, which can have numerous health benefits such as you know reduced obesity heart disease mental health issues the one last thing that i will that i will mention here is green spaces for instance uh, as a part of you know decarbonization people want to incorporate more green spaces people want to have more parks in in, in buildings and things like uh, you know rooftop gardens community and access to these green uh, areas has been linked to improve mental health and well-being so just to summarize this, it's all connected to planetary health. And I'll say it again, because I think it's very important. Planetary health is dependent upon economic health, which is dependent on human health. If we don't have healthy people, we will not be able to achieve our goal of having a healthy planet. Thank you for actually shedding light on some of the real life and actual implemented examples of how you can change design to impact people positively and how this is directly linked to health. Because I think maybe the perception these days is that when we talk about healthy buildings, they're not the norm. Maybe they're thought of as like a nice to have option, a luxury option, and it often comes with a price tag, which is definitely something we want to drive people away from in terms of this perception. I think when you gave those examples, if you really tried to think of it in the decision making process and design, whether you're talking about a building or a community and you implement the right design options that will impact people positively, perhaps that perception might change a little bit because the simple factors and solutions that you can implement that are often missed, unfortunately, can really be game changers. My question, Tiha, why do you think people perceive healthy buildings as high cost and how can we change that misconception? I have been asked this question on a panel actually during COP28. You know, my answer to this is, what is the cost of being healthy? Right. There are, you know, people say, oh, this is high cost. And again, as I told you at the beginning, there is no math to this. But what is the cost of being healthy? To your to, to your question, like, how can we change this misconception? Our goal and our mission and everything that we need to do from an organizational point of view, as well as all the well IPs that we have all over the world and everyone really that is interested in this topic. All we can do is continue to make people aware of the health benefits of being in a in a healthy buildings as well as the like how dangerous it is to be in a non healthy building right when you look at some of the data 
and you look at some of the uh, numbers, and again, when you look, let's let's use the 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 the, the most simple example: indoor air quality, right? When you look at indoor air quality, and you look at the World Health Organization saying that indoor air quality is two to five times worse indoors than outdoors. And you also see some 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 data that says like seven million people die every year from uh, uh, air pollution. That should change the, the 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 conception that this is high cost. You're saving people. You're making people healthier. You're making people uh, more productive. Again, I whenever I have these conversations as it relates to cost, my answer is always like, well, what is the cost of you being healthy? And if someone is looking at it only from a how much does it cost? What is my return on investment? And there's a lot of studies and there's a lot of research out there that shows these numbers. And there's a lot of uh, case studies that can prove that being in a healthy building, you know, pays back. And if you don't do the, the, the right things, you will be losing money. Um, but again, it, it all comes down, Dahlia, to we all need to understand that buildings and the spaces that we, that we spend the majority of our times in are impacting our health and well-being on a daily basis. and for me personally, I would, you know, I, the cost of, of being healthy for me uh, is, worth, is worth more than anything. That's right, Tiha. I think uh, this is something that we definitely need to be more aware of and advocate more as part of this movement. Uh, now, looking at the future and innovation, how do you see integration of technology in the space of health and wellness? And uh, how can we benefit from innovation and technology to grow the healthy living movement? It is very, very important. Health and uh, you know, technology and the use in in in, in health and uh, uh, and well-being is uh, is crucial. We need to. Use use all the innovative technologies out there. And I'll also share one very simple example. We are seeing people take, you know, guesses, right? So let's, 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 let's talk about uh, indoor air quality, for example. When we don't have an indoor air quality monitor in our homes or in our offices, how do you know what is bad in your air? Is it P PM 2.5? Is it PM 10? Is it TVOCs? Um, are you maybe using fresheners? Are, are you maybe using the wrong cleaning products? Are you, um, uh, is, is your furniture not good? How can you take informed decisions if you don't have the right technologies in place that would help you as an organization or as an individual take the appropriate decision? Very similar to the wearables where you can track your steps and you can, you know, uh, if you have a goal that I want to walk 10,000 steps now and I have a wearable, that could promote the idea of me to get moving and, and so many more. So I can see that the more technologies that will be out there, the more we as individuals have to educate ourselves on the use of this technology and how it can help us as individuals, as, as, as organizations, even as governments to make informed decisions. And as I mentioned, IQ is one of the most important things and one of the most simple examples is that from a governmental point of view or from an organizational point of view or from an individual point of view, if you want to take informed decisions, you have to measure. We cannot improve what we can't measure, and we will not be able to measure without having the, the, the appropriate technologies inside buildings, inside spaces that would help us improve the, the, the buildings and spaces that we're living inside. You're absolutely right. And, uh, and the fact that the data has a lot of value and uh, that this is yeah. where the technology really helps us in order to be able to make better decisions and take actions to actually fix what we may not be aware of as a problem uh, that exists. Now to maybe, let's, you know, to wrap up and maybe towards the final question, 
What is your message to policymakers, developers, consultants, and anyone who can make an impact to this space? My message is this is a topic that should never be overlooked. This is something that is extremely important. When we look at 90% of our times indoors or in this part of the world, as I always say, we can go up to 98% of our times indoors. And when you look at the research and the data that shows that 5% of our health outcomes are caused by genetics, 10 to 25% are caused by lifestyle and medical care, up to 70% is caused by social and environmental surroundings. If I would say anything, we should act now. The policymakers, the companies, CEOs, uh, developers, consultants, you have a brother, you have a sister, you have a father, you have a mother that is spending the majority of their times inside a building and inside a space and inside an office. And we should all come together to look at the data and to look at the research and to look at the science behind having unhealthy buildings and unhealthy spaces. And we should all come together and act now and do the right thing for those people. Do the right thing for the people as well as for the planet. Thank you so much for the insights and for the great information that you've shared with me and with our listeners. And to our audience, thank you for listening all the way through. Please leave us a comment if today's episode has sparked your interest and don't forget to join us for our new talk. Thank you.